Welcome back to the Zeitcast, everybody. I am excited to introduce you to part two of our conversation with one of my dearest and best friends, Pastor Brian Zond. For those of you who are not familiar with his life and work, I really wanted you to get a sense of his origin, the backstory, his own water-to-wine journey. But today, I feel like we're really getting into the good stuff. This is this is the content that I feel like he has such unique perspective and clarity on. I don't think anybody quite communicates about this quite as incisively, maybe quite as precisely as Brian does. So today um, we've got a provocative critique of nationalism. And I don't want to steal any of Brian's thunder uh, because, you know, he explains all this so well. I will just say I can't think of a higher stakes conversation to be having than this one, especially for those of us who are people of faith. I just think all of this is really crucial. I hope you'll listen with an open heart and open mind, even if these are some ideas you haven't engaged before. Uh, For those of you who know me well, you won't be surprised that I decided to call this episode Outside It's America, because of course that's a great U2 reference in the song Below the Blue Sky, and I never miss the chance to use a U2 reference when at all possible. So, Thank you for hanging around. I so appreciate all the feedback. Um, We are very new here. So right now, sharing, liking, reviewing helps us a great, great deal. And for those of you who would like to partner with us to help make this possible so I can keep coming to you every day, there is a link on my website, jonathanmartinwords.com, for my Patreon. So thank you so much for those of you who are supporting us. I really, really appreciate it. And I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Brian Zahn. One more time, because I love saying it. Outside, it's America. Outside, it's America. Okay, I'm done. Here really is Pastor Brian Zahn. Pastoring a church is harder than raising kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> At least that's, that was our mm, experience. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we had plenty of challenges raising kids, as, mm-hmm. as one does. But pastoring a church is harder than that. So hard. It's a weird time yeah. to plan a church, as I'm finding out in 2019. To start something new? What? A, what it's so weird. Yeah, I suppose everybody wants to know where you are on every issue, no matter what, from oh, for just sure. out the gate. You know? Out of the gate, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's so, I mean, there's so many challenges. And speaking of the challenges of the moment, I do want to talk about, because I think it's such an important book, Postcards from Babylon. Yeah. Um, and kind of the cultural moment that we're in. Now, so even the title, Brian, Postcards from Babylon. So you're not living under the assumption that, is, that America <laughs> is a second Israel and that we're blessed by God and that we're I doing think, great. And I think one of the most important things Christians can do in America right now is learn to see America as a kind of biblical Babylon and not mm. a kind of biblical Israel. Yes. That is an enormous shift... Yeah. I'm sympathetic to a certain extent that some people can't probably make that shift. They're sure. wrong. They need to yeah. be born again. Yeah. By that I mean, yes. by born again, I mean, this is Nicodemus coming to Jesus, and yeah. Jesus uses this expression. It literally means born from above, but it's an idiom that meant something similar to art, take it from the top. Yeah, You know, if, if a band's rehearsing, they might be rehearsing one little part of the song, but then the band leader says, come on, guys, let's take it from the top. That means start at the beginning. 
Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, unless you're willing to rethink everything, this is Nicodemus with Mm -hmm. all of his degrees. He's a tenured professor. He's the best known theologian in his denomination. And now Mm -hmm. this young peasant preacher is saying, you need to rethink everything. Mm -hmm. And you you need to be born again. Look, Nicodemus gets it. Yeah. He, He isn't that he's daft. I mean, Jesus is using metaphor. Well, this is the stock and trade of of Jewish rabbis. So he right. plays along with the metaphor. He says, uh, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed Jesus, but I'm an old man. Can I go into my mother's womb and come out a second time? Yeah. Jesus says, yeah, verily, verily, unless you're born again, you'll never perceive this kingdom. Yes. He's not saying unless you pray a sinner's prayer, you can't go to heaven when you die. He's saying right. unless you're willing to rethink everything, you will not yes. perceive the kingdom of God, even though it's yes. right here all around you. Yes. So if if American evangelicals aren't willing to rethink what America is, that mm-hmm. is that it is a kind of biblical Babylon, yeah. not a kind of Israel, they will never perceive the kingdom of God, even though it's mm-hmm. present. Mm-hmm. Because what mm-hmm. America is, is an empire. Yeah. And, well, let me say this. America is four things. America is huge. You know, outside it's America, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's 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 all we live in an American world. Yes, America's shadow is so enormous. America is four things: it's a nation, it's a culture, mm-hmm. it's an empire, mm-hmm. it's a religion. Mm-hmm. As a nation and a culture, America is a mixed bag. There's yeah. plenty to critique, but there's a whole lot that I can admire. Sure, sure. Uh, There is that sense that I love America. I love much of its culture. I love its entrepreneurial spirit. Mm -hmm. Everyone that visits America that's attentive, they generally will will remark on the energy that America has, that America really is the kind of place where things are possible. And let's do something new. Let's do something innovative. Mm -hmm. So there's much that's admirable about America as a nation and as a Mm -hmm. culture. As an empire, though, that's where we begin mm-hmm. to run into a problem. Yeah. And so let me define my terms. When I say empire, that's not just some empty pejorative. What I mean, mm-hmm. empires are rich, powerful nations mm-hmm. who believe they have a divine right and mm-hmm. a manifest destiny to shape history according to their own agenda. Yeah. Um, God loves nations. God loves their diversity, their uniqueness, their language, their culture, all of that. God loves nations. God is opposed to empire. And this is a theme that quite literally, without exaggeration, runs from Genesis to Revelation. Yeah. Very pronounced in Exodus, some of the prophets, especially Daniel, Isaiah. Uh, It shows up in all of the Gospels. It's in the book of Acts, and then it reaches an apex with the book of Revelation, which is purely... A prophetic critique of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. The reason that God loves nations but is opposed to empires is that what empires claim for themselves, that is a divine right to rule other nations and a manifest destiny to shape history according to their agenda, is the very thing that God has promised to His Son, Jesus Christ. Mm, yes. So empires set themselves up to be a rival yeah. to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Again, and th- this is the theme. See, of course, people misunderstand the book of Revelation on obvious levels, but, you know, I think most of our listeners probably get some of that. But, mm-hmm. but there's also a misunderstanding that, that 
John of Patmos is writing to a particularly persecuted church. Yeah. Um, probably John, there are people that lived through the fierce persecution under Nero in the 60s, but this mm-hmm. book is written in the 90s. Right. And it's a time of relative calm, and you're having more and more and more Roman citizens mm. um, being baptized, coming into the faith, and they're, John is worried that they're going to think that the empire is benign, mm-hmm. that it doesn't pose a particular challenge to Christ, that they're going to become lax, that they're yeah. going to be lulled into compromise. And he's desperately, with all of his wild images, he's trying to wake them up and he's saying, remember, guys, this thing is a beast. Yeah. It's a beast. Don't be sucked into the false prophet propaganda. This thing is a beast, and it, at its very heart, it's opposed to the lamb-like ways of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's a message we need to hear. And then, and then finally, I said America is four things. It's culture, nation, um, empire, and it's religion. Yeah. And that's hard for people to see, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. That's right. I mean, a religion complete with creation myth, yes. canonical texts, saints, mm-hmm. holy sites and holy ground, um, ho- holy days, and all kinds of iconography. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder how many people are aware that if you go to the Capitol in Washington in the rotunda, there is a painting called the apotheosis of Washington. Apotheosis mm. is Greek for to make a god of. Yeah. And it shows George Washington ascended to heaven, flanked by two goddesses, mm. and reigning over the nations from heaven. Um, it reminds me of a Rolling Stone song. I imagine mm. Jesus saying, hey, you get off of my cloud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, That's uh, awesome. No, it's very similar to the iconography you would see in a lot of uh, perhaps Catholic churches that depict mm-hmm. Christ as ascended. But they've replaced it with George Washington. In fact, the artist, this was done in 1865, the artist, his, his commission before the Capitol Rotunda was doing artwork in the Vatican. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's an artist who specialized in religious imagery, and he was employed by the U.S. Congress to deify Washington. Now, that may be, that may be a very kind of over-the-top egregious amount, but... Mm-hmm. So, so, for example, uh, in the uh, religion of Americanism, it's even, it even has its liturgical gestures. Mm. You know, I meet plenty of careful evangelicals that would never make the sign of the cross. Yeah. Uh, but they hear a certain song, they're going to stand up and place their hand over their heart. Sure. That, that's, that's a religious expression. Now, mm. it, it can be benign. It can sure. be relatively sure. benign in certain situations. Yeah. Or it can be as dangerous and malignant as it was in 1930s Germany. Mm-hmm. So you always have to be careful once uh, patriotism takes on religious aura. Yes. Patriotism is the last refuge to which a scoundrel clings. Steal a little and they throw you in jail. Steal a lot and they make you king. Mm. That's your Dylan oh, line so for the day. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> so good, Brian. Um, in the book in particular, as you're unpacking these themes of empire and America as Babylon, and I know you posted an excerpt from this recently. I was so glad you did, and I was glad to see it heavily circulated because I think it's important. 
you know, you're one of the things I admire most about, well, I mean, I admire so many things about your approach, but I, I especially appreciate the fact, I do feel like you're, you're relentlessly nonpartisan in your critique. I mean, you I are, really am. You really are. You are consistent. You've always been. Um, it's always been about the kingdom. And yet in the book, um, you do make a, you do make a point to kind of say there are some things about the Trump era that you find to be unique and yeah. in terms of that, that need to be uniquely resisted by the church. So especially for somebody like you that consistently has this very nonpartisan kind of kingdom critique, what is it about the Trump era in particular that you find to be particularly dangerous that you feel like Christians have to be attentive to? In <clears throat> the religious language that's used to talk about the presidency of Donald Trump. Now, look, mm. if someone says, I'm a, I'm a single voter issue, I'm, I'm a single issue voter, um, I, I, want, I want abortion criminalized, I want justices on the Supreme Court and federal justices on the bench who will take an anti-abortion pro-life stance, and that's how I'm going to vote. I don't agree with that. I think it's problematic, but I don't have any compelling interest to critique it either. It's just a, yeah. it's just a particular way of approaching uh, their participation in democracy. I don't. Yeah. That's fine. I under I understand it. I don't yeah. agree with it, but I understand it, and I don't want to critique it. But that's not what I see. Yeah. I see language of God's man and Cyrus and raised up by the Lord and God accomplishing in his purposes. Mm-hmm. I see uh, people dragging Jesus Christ into this presidency as if, you know, as if it has anything to do with God's purposes of redemption yeah. in the world. If someone can just say benignly, I... I'm a Republican, and I always vote Republican, and so I did. I don't agree with that approach, but I understand it, but that's not what I see. For the most part, I see religious fervor, vocabulary, language, and I see that as extremely dangerous. Mm. Again, not to be alarmist, but, you know, do I have this book sitting here? Maybe I do. Uh, I read... It's probably yeah, here, here. It is. Let me reach over and grab this. Um, yeah, it's a big, thick book. Uh, a Church Undone: Documents from the German Christian Faith Movement, 1932 to 1940. And it's pretty dang scary mm. because I've heard these things before. They sound very similar. Mm. And um, you know, when you have when you have the uh, short-lived uh, Attorney General. Uh, wanting to cite to us Romans 13 yeah. for an abhorrent detention policy. Yeah. Um, see, now, now, you've cro- now, you've, now Jeff Sessions crosses over into my territory. Yes. Okay, so you say Brian's getting political. Well, no, the Attorney General got theological. Right, yeah. And, <laughs> I, and I, you know, mm-hmm. I have some things to say about theology. And you, say, oh, you want to talk Romans 13? Okay, let's do it then. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I don't know that I'm becoming political. It's that politics are becoming theological. And so they show up in my backyard and I've got to deal with it. Yes. Yes. That's so, that's so, that's so important, Brian. I think, and I think that voice so needs to be heard right now. Um, Is there, for people that um, 
are kind of bought in to that kind of um, empire fervor and who are kind of on that train. Do you see, like, do you ever see people's mind change? Like, do you ever have these kind of exchanges? Like, like what do you see happening right now in well, terms of... Well, mine did. Yeah. So it's possible. Um, maybe I'll tell the story. Maybe I'll... Uh, hold on here. Um, yeah. So... So look, you know, I was kind of just, I was a Jesus freak, and we were, we were passionately apolitical. But that was, that was early on. That's, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's in the 70s, and then time goes on. And, and the Jesus movement kind of goes into the charismatic movement, which was good until it wasn't. But right. when, it, when it was good, it was good. And that, that led us into religious, that led us into like kind of the word of faith movement, which again yeah. was good until it wasn't. But then that, that led us into the religious right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've sh- I've shared the platform with Pat Robertson. I've mm-hmm. spoken in the same events with him. I have. I've. This is going to freak our listeners out. I have shared the platform with Dick Cheney for crying out loud. Huh. Um, so I've so I've been in that world. I know that world. Yeah. Uh, where you just assume that God is working through the machinations of politics and God is on the sure. side of Republicans. I understand that world. I mean, I was in it. Uh, one day I was reading Dostoevsky. Hmm. I was reading the brothers Karamad. No, this is Demons. I was reading Demons. That's a great book. And I read this. I'm going to read this little passage here. It may, may not mean Please. anything to anybody else, but I'll try to unpack it. This is Dostoevsky. You know, it's fiction. It's novel. And uh, it's, it's uh, one of the main characters, Shatov, is saying this. I raise the nation up to God. Has it ever been otherwise? The nation is the body of God. Any nation is a nation only as long as it has its own particular God and rules out all other gods in the world with no consolation. As long as it believes that through its God, it will be victorious and will drive all other gods from the world. A truly great nation can never be reconciled with a secondary role in mankind, or even with a primary, but inevitably and exclusively with the first. Any that loses this faith is no longer a great nation, but the truth is one, and therefore only one among the nations can have the true God. When I read that, and let me just, um, but he basically is saying, don't you understand what great nations do? Mm. They speak of God, but God is a patron deity. Yeah. Serving exclusively the interests of their nation over and against all rivals, yeah. which is actually a way of simply deifying the nation. Yes. In yes. religious nationalism, the true object of worship is mm-hmm. the nation or the empire itself. That's right. Now, you don't say it that explicitly, mm-hmm. but that little passage in the book Demons, it just shocked me. I was sitting right here where I'm sitting right now when mm-hmm. I read that. And, and I, I staggered out of my house hmm. with the book still in hand. I walked, I walked for a, a mile. <laughs> I walked for a mile, just stunned. And hmm. it opened my eyes that the civil religion in America is simply a deifying of the nation itself. Yeah. And that the true yeah. object of worship is America. Now, it borrows right. heavily from Christian uh, language 
biblical language, but it is it is a it's just it's an illicit appropriation that yes. makes it palatable to the masses. And I think I think yeah. also I should say this I think it's mostly done unwittingly. Sure. I don't. I don't sure. th- in fact, I I might even say it's always done unwittingly. I don't think anyone mm-hmm. is sitting around saying, "Let's you know dupe people and get them to worship the nation," but we'll call it Jesus. We'll call it God. Yeah. No, I think it it happens. Um, I, I want to be careful. I think it happens satanically. Now you know we can unpack mm-hmm. what I mean by the Satan, but I think it happens that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, mm. um, so your original question, is there any hope? Well, I don't see it happen a lot, but it happened to me. So I think, okay, yeah. if midlife, in my 40s, yes. if I can suddenly be awake and go, wait a minute, yeah. this whole religious nationalism thing, this whole civil religion yeah. is leading me away from Jesus. Mm. It's leading me away from the Sermon on the Mount. Mm. It's making uh, not the kingdom of God... The focus. It's making American interest the focus. Right. It, it's trying to tell me that America must be first and great and number one because it's God's agent in the world. But no, I see that's not true. That's not mm-hmm. true at all. That God doesn't. God didn't raise up America. God didn't raise up Donald Trump. God raised Jesus Christ yeah. from the dead. Yes. <laughs> and Jesus yes. is Lord, not not Lord elect. You know, we have the system right. in America where a president is elected. And then there's this period between the election and the inauguration, so they're called president-elect. I think a lot of Christians, really, when they say Jesus is Lord, need a big asterisk that says mm. he's Lord-elect. He's been raised That's from so the dead, true. But, but he hasn't really, he's not really, he'll be Lord when he comes back. Yeah. Right yeah. now, uh, somebody's got to run the show, and so it's yeah. Caesar, or it's, yeah. you know, America. And, yeah. and no, we, we say no to that. We say Jesus is Lord here and now. And if mm. others don't want to live under the reign of Christ, that's on them. The mm. church is to embrace the message and the praxis of Jesus Christ given to us on yes. the Sermon on the Mount, come what may. Yes. Um, martyrdom is always on the table for a Christian. Absolutely. I mean, you understand that the word witness... In our New Testament, in the Greek New Testament, I mean, martyr, the word martyr is mm. a Greek word that is simply anglicized. It's a transliterated mm. word. It's not a translated word. And martyr was the Greek word for witness. So mm. when Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses, he's also saying, you'll be my martyrs. Yeah. Uh, remember in the book of Revelation, it speaks about in the days of my witness. Antipas, who was killed, but it's martyr, because witness martyr are the same thing. Um, Mm. So in our baptism, we sign up for the potential to become a martyr. Yeah. But but once you sign on to the interests of empire, well, the great mantra of of Americanism as a religion is freedom. Mm -hmm. But freedom in the American religion is a euphemism. It actually means power to kill. Yeah, that's right. And 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 uh, if you doubt that, just pay attention. Listen to how the word is used in mm. political rhetoric, mm. in patriotic and political rhetoric, freedom. And then just see how often you can substitute power to kill, and you realize that's exactly 
exactly yeah. what is what is meant. Yeah. Again, I don't think most people are aware of this. I don't think people are sure. saying, yes, what I really mean is I mean power to kill. I'm going to say freedom, but I mean power to kill. Right. No, they don't know that. They, too, have been deceived. Yes. But there are these moments of unintended truth-telling. Mm. There are moments of the eruption of the real, to use a phrase from a, a Czech philosopher. Um for example, and I know every listener is, is aware of this. I mean, I know you'll see it in Oklahoma, but you'll see it in Missouri, but you'll see it in California, New York, Massachusetts, everywhere. You'll drive past some church somewhere, and it's a church that likes to have some flags outdoors. Mm-hmm. And, but maybe they're, you know, maybe they're on a budget. They've only got one flag pole. Now, they've got two flags they want to fly. They want to fly the American flag because, you know, I guess we need to know what country we're in. <laughs> and so they've got an American flag. And then they've got a so-called Christian flag. Yeah. And I'm not super keen on the so-called Christian flag. It's not It's not ancient iconography. Right. It's clearly uh, an, an amalgamation of Christian symbolism and American symbolism. Yes. But let, let's just set that aside. Let's, let's take sure. it in good faith. Let's say it represents Christian faith. Yeah. All right? How are they arranged on the flagpole? Hmm. The American flag at the top. And the Christian flag subordinate to it. Right. Well, flags serve no utilitarian purpose. They are pure symbol and they're powerful symbols. That's why yes. even the mention of things like flag burnings gets people very upset. So they're powerful symbols. What is the symbolism saying? It's saying mm-hmm. uh, we're Christians. We're, we're, we love Christianity. We love Christ. We love Jesus. In fact, we love him so much. He's number two. In our whole yeah. pantheon, he's, he's, yeah. he's the penultimate God. But on mm. top is America. Now, mm-hmm. if, if, if you tell them that, if you tell the pastor that or the deacon board, you know, you've got your flags out there and you're saying that America's number one and Jesus is number two, they're going to protest. Say, oh, it doesn't mean that. I'll say, okay, then switch them. Right. Then switch them. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, now, and I've asked people this, and they'll say, well, well, you can't do that. I said, why not? They said, well, it's illegal. Well, first of all, it's not, but so what if it were? <laughs> yeah. So what yeah. if it were? This is, a, this is a moment of unintended truth-telling. What they're saying right. is is that our Christianity serves our ultimate interest, and that is the greatness, the power, whatever, of you know, making America great again or keeping America great or keeping America number one. Yeah. And what I want to tell people is that is nowhere on the agenda of God's redemptive purposes for planet Earth. God That's loves right. nations. He'll bless nations, but he's not sure. interested in making some, you know, number one. Okay, here's where we're going to rank them. America's yeah. going to be number one, and he's not interested in that. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus might say, let's let Honduras be number one for a while. That's <laughs> and, and see, this is a particular problem that has been around for 17 centuries for Christians that are hosted by an empire. Yeah. Uh, patriotism can largely be harmless mm-hmm. if you're in Portugal. Mm. You know, Portugal isn't walking around. They don't say we're number one. They say, what are we? We're not number one. What are we? We're, we're not number yeah. 48 or something. I don't know. Uh, and, and they're content to be number 48 or 52 yeah. or whatever they are, however you measure these things. Um, but no, in, in an empire, this has to be sustained by, by the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that so we have a trillion dollar army. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in God we trust, sustained by a trillion dollar military. I mean, a trillion. Do- I mean, eight hundred million dollars, eight hundred billion dollars a year, every yeah. year, every year, every year. Uh, so these are things that need to be rethought in the light of Christ. Um, yes. 
the only the only faithful Christian, I suppose, is a countercultural Christian. When we yeah. live in an empire, we, we've got to find. I mean, something has to challenge. I mean, our allegiance to Christ at some point has to cost us, doesn't it? Right. Yeah. I mean, if it doesn't. So, so what is the difference between being a follower of Jesus Christ and being just a good, you know, American? Mm-hmm. Isn't there a difference? Mm-hmm. I think there, there should be. I mean, is America the kingdom of God? I remember, though, being, I was speaking in a church in France, and then I was, they, have a, they operate a Bible college there, and I was going to be teaching throughout the week in their Bible college, and the pastor asked me, he said, uh, what are you going to teach on the Bible college? I said, uh, I want to teach on the, the kingdom of God. He said, oh, no, don't do that. I said, why not? He said, all of you Americans think that America is the kingdom of God. Oh, well, I, I well. assured him that that wasn't the case with me, but I, I, I honestly yeah. understood why Oof. a French pastor sure. would say that to an American preacher. Mm-hmm. No, don't preach on the kingdom of God, because all mm-hmm. you Americans think that America is the kingdom of God. And I suppose that really is a test. I mean, if we don't see the kingdom of God operating through the church as a right. viable reality... Then, then we automatically reach for Caesar's coercive sword, which means we have to use the, the machinations of politics to bring about yeah. God's will. And that can happen on the left, by the way, yeah, too. Yeah, sure, absolutely can. Yeah. And so, so on the one hand, I will critique an American far-right evangelical for their uh, religiously imbued support of Donald Trump. But for the progressive side, I'll say, now, you, I want you to really tell me, just right here and tell me, what is the difference between Jesus Christ and, and Bernie Sanders? Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, I understand, okay, they're both socialist Jews, but, I mean, is Jesus Lord? <laughs> is he raised from the dead? Is he, you know, yes. tell me the difference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, Jonathan, I do... You know, you set this up by saying I'm non. I really am nonpartisan, and I can yeah. kind of prove it by showing you the the bullet holes I've got from both left and right. You I do, do get you criticism do from both sides. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love that, and I feel like that's an that's something you speak to a lot that I think is important that people don't just in this theological journey that to simply move from the right end of the continuum to the left is really not the move that we're looking for yeah. in terms of being kingdom people, that what Jesus is calling us towards is certainly needs to be something more radical than that. See, the problem with religious right and religious left, let's say it this way, Christian right and Christian left, is you end up with the all-important political noun yeah. and Christianity reduced to subordinate adjective duty. Right, right. See, and so, so you end up with the political tail wagging the Christian dog. Yeah. And that's why, yeah, okay, we live in a participatory democracy, and people can participate at, really at every level. Uh, you can, you know, you can register with a party, you can vote, you can run for office, you can hold office, as long as you are not compromising your allegiance to Christ. Yeah. And part of that means you cannot demonize and vilify others for the cause of your party. Right, right. Once you start becoming ugly, it doesn't matter, right or left. It doesn't matter. Once you become uh, so partisan that you can no longer be kind. right. You know, he he's shown you a human being what is good and what God requires of you mm. that you love kindness. Yes. And yes. do justice. 
Yes. I mean, I mean, okay, you can, you can, you can say I want to do justice, but if you can't do that while loving kindness, right? Then you've departed from the Jesus way. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes yeah. I have people tell me, you know, this message of nonviolence that comes from a position of white privilege, to which I say, well, it didn't for Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> who, that's so true. Who is the reason I embraced this message? He was, yeah. you know, he was a. Palestinian Jew living under an occupation by foreign European power, and he said, mm-hmm. love your enemies and turn the other cheek and don't resist violently their oppression. Yes, you resist, but not by using the means of violence. Right, right. Um, so I, can, I have plenty of critiques for both the left and the right. Mm-hmm. Um, Karl Barth said it this way. He said, God cannot serve. God can only rule. Don't misunderstand yeah. that. He doesn't mean that God in Christ isn't humble and donning sure. the towel. And serve. He means God can't serve some other interest. Yeah. Jesus is yeah. not going to be a mascot for the Absolutely. Republican Party or for the Democratic Party. So right. I, I say it right. in kind of a smart aleck way. I said, I'm not following an elephant. I'm not following a donkey. I'm following the lamb. Mm. And the lamb is different than elephants or donkeys. I mean, I understand. I'm I'm comfortable. I'm comfortable on this podcast saying I see a particular crisis in the Republican Party in America. I think it deserves all kinds of criticism, both Mm. politically based and uh, theologically based. I get that. Mm. I'm I'm not saying there's fine people on both sides. I'm not not saying that. But I'm saying for me, I, I am a pastor. I'm a theologian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is Savior. That's where I'm placing yes. my hope. Yes. And I, w- I have to follow Him. And I, I just can't say, okay, I'm ultimately just going to change the world through a little more progressive left right. uh, political approach. Yes. I, mean, I mean, there's plenty of things that I'm politically left on in my political opinions. Mm-hmm. But I hold those things pretty loosely. Yeah. Um, because I believe the kingdom of Christ is real. That's yes. the hope for the world. Yes. Uh, that's what's going to transform lives. Mm. Um, and having said that, uh, political theology is very, very difficult. It, you, it feels so to me difficult. like it is such, it, you're not walking a narrow path, you're walking yeah. on a tight rope. That's the truth. Uh, it's, it's that. Because one side you're going to fall into quietism, yeah, and that is a, a, a position of just sort of elite privilege, and you just say I'm above it all. Yeah. The other side suddenly now you're um, you become a full on partisan, right? And you're you're you you are accepting that the ends justify the means, yeah. and if you have to become ugly and contribute more to the vitriol that's already toxic in our society, well, then yeah. that's what you have to... See, I, I don't want to go either way. Yeah, yeah And so, uh, so I keep seeing Hirewas mm-hmm. behind you there, and, and I, yeah. I think what he has to say is more relevant than it's ever been. I know there are plenty of people on both the right and left want to dismiss him, but I, I, I can't think of anybody whose body of work... Yes. is more relevant to... I mean, he was, you know, I mean, he's still alive and writing, but I mean, you know, a lot of his work is done in the 70s, 80s. Yeah. It seems to me like he was just storing it up mm-hmm. for us to have today. It feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, so, I'm, you know, read postcards from Babylon, but then go read 
Walter Brueggemann and Stanley yes. Harwas. Those yes. two cats are 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 so important to our situation we're in. I think, and both have been equally influential to me for sure. I do hope people read that, but I do want them to read postcards from Babylon first. <laughs> um, Brian Brueggemann, th- you know, wrote the foreword for. Uh, Postcards from Babylon. I had yes. to say that because I'm still not entirely sanctified and I have enough vanity in me that I wanted to say that. <laughs> no, you should. If I had Walter Brueggemann write it forward for one of my books, I absolutely would. No, that, that needs to be said. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Um, Brian, I so appreciate you being so generous with your time. I tell people all the time, I feel like you are one of just the preeminent prophetic voices of our time that I feel like people should be listening to. I do want to land with this question because it feels so important. And I feel like it's so true to who you are and to your larger project, because here's the thing that's interesting. Like when I think about, I mean, I learned, I, I learned from you in so many ways, but in terms of your, just your life, your witness, who you are, but the two areas that I most clearly identify with you now in terms of like areas where I feel like I find myself drawing strength a lot. A, I, you know, I do feel like you embody this kind of prophetic critique we've talked about today of nationalism. And, you know, I'm 100 percent with you there and uh, all that. The, the otherness of, of the kingdom. But the other thing, Brian, you're one of the people actually who's most helped me and just in terms of renewing and restoring my prayer life. And I love the prayer schools that you're doing. And I feel like these two things are so related because precisely because we are in an age of empire and precisely because the forces that we're resisting are very real, it seems like it's never been more important than it is right now to have the kind of anchor and the kind of rootedness that only comes through prayer. So I'd love to hear you just speak to the role of prayer in sustaining oneself, especially in this particular moment that we're in and in this empire that we're in. People ask me a lot, you know, Brian, you went through this transition with your church and it was difficult and it was challenging. How did you make it? Mm. And I say, well, maybe three things. Perry was with me. You know, we weren't we weren't going through that. We were doing it together. We were both being changed and transitioning in our theology simultaneously. So that was a a huge grace. I met very early on, I met Joe Beach and Brad Jerzak, like, you know, 2004, 5, 6. And and so we all walked together. So I had two Mm. friends. And the third thing was I learned how to pray. Mm. And it took me a long time to learn how to pray. Mm. Uh, I, I, I wasn't, I was in my 40s almost 50, before I learned how to pray well. Mm-hmm. And it involved incorporating liturgy, mm-hmm. but it's not as simple as that. I need you know plenty of time to teach people that. This whole thing with prayer schools that I do, it's the craziest thing. I, I, never, I never set out to do prayer schools. It just happened. Um, I learned how to pray well. I can, I'm just saying that just very honestly objectively yeah through trial and error and prayer books and i had some dreams i won't go into all that it was kind of mystical and i learned how to pray well and and our leadership team noticed the change i mean they said brian you're you're different you have more peace there's more depth to you what do you do i said well i think it has to do with how i pray and they said well can you teach us how to pray Mm. so yeah i'll teach you how to pray i said it'll take me about an hour and then I realized, no, it's going to take me about five hours. I didn't mm. realize there was as much there. And so I, I taught the staff, 
And then word got out, and the church wanted to say, will you, will you teach us? Hmm. And so at first, I tried to keep it small. I tried to keep it 12 at a time. But there were just so many that wanted it that I yeah. couldn't keep it that small. Then people said, um, people heard about it. And they said, well, you put it hmm. online. I said, I, I said, I put everything online, you know, all my sermons and all that. But I don't think I should do this. I hmm. think this is holier than that. This is like yeah. whispering secrets. This, I think this needs to stay you know, face to face, in person, mm. incarnate. I said, no, I don't think I should. They said, well, you know, we can't come five, because I used to do it like five consecutive Wednesday mornings or five consecutive Wednesday evenings. I would meet with people. Mm. And they said, but, you know, we live in Seattle or whatever. We can't, if we came over a weekend, would you do it? I said, well, yeah, I suppose I will. Now, then it got to the point where all I have to do is tweet on it two or three times, and we, we cap it off because we want to do it in our upper room. You've seen that prayer chapel. Yes. And you can beautiful. only have a little over 100 in there, so we cap it off at that. I'm doing one this weekend, but it's, you know, it's sold out. It's full. Mm. Um, and then they started inviting me to, I mean, this year I'll be in doing prayer schools in New Zealand, South Africa, mm. uh, Oregon. I don't know where all, all over. But the point is... I never set out to do any of that. I didn't, yeah. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to, you know, and I'm promoting myself and I'm, you know, calling people, hey, would you like to? No, yeah. I've never, I've ne- it's just, now I get far more invitations than I can do. So I just kind of pick the ones I can. Um, mm-hmm. So I say that not, not, I'm not trying to be self-referential and complimenting sure. myself. I'm saying apparently I've touched on something that people That's really right. need. And learning how to pray, the, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but to be properly yeah. formed. That's right. And people that come from a particularly low church background, Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelicals, um, we, we've been just told, you know, how do you pray? Well, you just talk to God. Well, I'm, that's just not enough. Mm-hmm. What do I say to God? Uh, yeah, you, there's, there's always room for prayer from the heart. Prayer from the heart remains the heart of prayer, but you need you need formation, you need structure. Um, we, we come into the presence of God with intentionality, and we draw near to the fire that is God, mm. and 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 our soul begins to heat up, mm. and it's like gold that's now going from a from a solid to a liquid, but yes. it, it needs to be formed. We need we need to cast to form yeah. it to pour it into. Or it just, it just runs all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so these structures of prayer that I teach people are, are something to pour the pure gold of your soul into so mm. that you can be formed yes. in a proper way. Yes. Um, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking people to adopt mere rote. I'm giving people a structure yeah. of formation. Yeah. Uh, I would not have... I wouldn't be where I... I don't know... I wouldn't have been able to survive the pressure I was under for 10 years mm. leading our church in this profound theological and ecclesial transition if yeah. I didn't know how to pray well. Yeah. And um, I don't know what else to say about it. I can't, you know, I can't just sit here and give you the, the prayer school. But <laughs> it's, I suppose, I suppose it's the most important thing in my life, you know. I mean, mm. Jesus and my wife and church and, and, and then prayer and i you know the way i pray i pray every day it's not i don't have i just it's life to me and i can't i can't imagine so i show up at the place of prayer every morning and it's going to take me about 30 35 minutes to 
to flow down this track. Yeah. And it, it's and it's never. It's not hard. It's not dead. It's not lifeless. I mean, but I don't I don't evaluate in that manner. We live in an entertainment mm-hmm. culture, and we want to right. rate everything. You know, my prayer time today was you know seventy eight percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. No, I don't do that. <laughs> right. I, I just I just come to the place of prayer, and here's yeah. the structure, here's the trellis, here's the track, and I just place my soul on it. I, I pour my soul mm. into that form, and I mm. do it day after day, and it's it's been life for me. And um, I should come to your church, and I've never asked anybody, but I should come to your church and do it. I've seriously, I'm I've dying never, to have I, you come I, do I, it. I, I know should, we talked about I, it before. You know, we're just I still just say that because we're a, friends. You know, but. no, you have to come to Oklahoma City and do one here. Like we're desperate to have you do this. We've, yeah, well, we it'll have, have to, to be. It'll be 2020, but we'll do it. Oh, I'm so I, I I can't wait to have you here to do a prayer school. That would mean everything yeah. to us. And I think Brian, even landing there in terms of that is hitting such a nerve because I think people recognize that there is such a hunger for that kind of connectivity with God. And I don't care what direction you want to take this. I wonder if you could close by sharing a prayer with us now, either if that's a written prayer that's meant something to you, or if you want to do something more spontaneous, but you know, cause I find more and more, I love having these conversations like we've had today, but you never know what to do with it. Right. And I'm trying to let that, instead of paralyze me the way it used to, to to draw me into God's presence in a conscious way where there's just, you know, space to be gathered. Why don't I, why don't I do this? Why don't I pray, and I'm going to really pray, what I call, in prayer school, I call it the Lord's Prayer Expanded, mm. which is both structured and improvisational. I, I draw from music on this. For example... Uh, a guitar solo, you know, for people that are completely non-musical, it's like pure magic. Mm. On the other hand, I, I know enough about guitar and music to say, well, you know, there is, there are some things going on there. Yeah. They have learned some scales, yeah. and they are employing various pentatonic, perhaps, if it's a blues thing, scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lord's Prayer is a scale. It's a perfect prayer given to us by Jesus, but you can also use it as the basis for some improvisational praying. Mm-hmm. So we know the Lord's Prayer. This is the prayer that Jesus, he says, when you pray, say, and he composes a prayer and he gives it to us that we are to pray. But let me, let me riff on that. Amen. So let's mm-hmm. pray. Father God, our Father in the heavens, Hallowed, holy, sacred be your name. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of your glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy government come, thy politics be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy reign and rule come, thy plans and purposes be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we be an authentic expression of the kingdom of Jesus in the 21st century. May we be an anticipation of the age to come. May we embody the reign of Christ here and now. Give us day by day our daily bread. Yes. 
provide for the poor among us and as we seek first your kingdom and your justice, may all of the things that we need be given to us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Transform us by the Holy Spirit into a forgiving community of forgiven sinners. Father, forgive us of our many sins, our pride, our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our self-indulgence. Forgive us of our many sins. And those who have sinned against us, we freely forgive. And in forgiving, we We presume no guilt. We assign no blame. We just say they are free and we place all in your hands. Yes. Lead us not into trouble, trial, tribulation, temptation. Remember that we are but dust. We can only take so much. Lead us out of the wilderness into the promised land that flows with milk and honey. Out of the bad lands into resurrection country. Mm. Deliver us from evil. And the evil one. Deliver us from the Satan, Hasatan, accuser, adversary. So that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So that every tongue that rises against us in judgment you will condemn. So every fiery dart of the wicked one is extinguished by the shield of faith. So that as we submit to you and resist the devil, the devil flees. So that as we draw near to Jesus Christ, lifted up, his cross becomes for us the axis of love expressed Mm. in forgiveness that refounds the world. And the Satan who led Mm. humanity astray into rivalry, accusation, violence, domination, Mm. war, empire, and all manner of sin, that Satan is driven out from among us. Oh, God of peace, soon crush the Satan under our feet. Yes. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, my friend. That was beautiful. Thank you, Jonathan. It's so good to see you and such an honor to have you on the Zeitcast. And I'm excited about your trip. We'll be praying for you and Perry. Please tell Perry how much I love and appreciate her. You guys are just... Y'all are among my dearest friends in the world, and you have no idea how much you mean to me, how much your encourage, encouragement means to me, and your elders in my life, and such just, just, just friends. I'm just so thankful to have y'all surrounding me, and we'll just seriously pray blessings on the trek you're about to go on. That's really exciting. Thank you. Love you, my friend. So good to see you. Love you, Jonathan. You're one of my best friends. I love you very much. You're sincerely one of my best friends, and I'm just uh, glad we get to do this together. And we're, I'm serious Amen. about a prayer school in Oklahoma City. That's that's definitely uh, happening. Yeah. So for everybody who's listening to the Zeitcast, as always, we so appreciate if you like, if you review, if you share, and if you go to JonathanMartinWords.com, you can uh, sign up for Patreon to help keep making this happen every day. So appreciate all you guys who are um, partnering with us already and helping to make this possible. But, uh, th- and what an amazing, we're definitely gonna make this a double episode with Brian's on cause it's been so tremendous, but <laughs> so really long. awesome to have you, my friend. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Take care friend. And we'll uh, see you guys tomorrow. <laughs>